it's accurate, but it's not very elegant. Like if we were to do it, it'd be like take three movie podcast, anticipation, discussion, reaction, discussion, reaction, anticipation, discussion, baseball, baseball. <laughs> hey there, I'm Jordan. And I'm Nick. We're just two regular guys who love talking about film. And now we'd like to talk to you. We decided to break down our discussions into three parts. Because everyone loves a gimmick. We discuss our expectations for a film before we watch it. That's take one. We give our immediate thoughts following the film. That's take two. And finally, we research the film at length to prepare for an informed and in-depth discussion. And that's take three. So if you love film even half as much as we do, join in on the conversation. This is Take Three, a movie podcast. Take one. Surprise, bitch. I bet you thought you'd seen The Last of Us. He's alive. He made it. I'm alive, and I am sitting upright in a chair, and I'm not dying. He's sitting, you guys. And he's walking. I actually saw him walk. Thank you guys all for um, your thoughts and prayers and all that kind of stuff. Also, my roommate is blaring music in the shower. So if you can hear it, I'm sorry. How deep do you want to get into what happened and where you're at right now? I can go pretty in depth, I guess. I don't know. I don't know if everybody cares but to hear it so much. But basically, I got the surgery. I stayed overnight and they sent me home the next day and I have been feeling increasingly better. There's been like a couple of days where I just felt bleh. I think that's probably just because of the drugs. And the fact that they, you know, opened a gash in your back. Yeah. I got my bandage taken off yesterday. That, I was very happy to hear about that as well. It was, it's, like... it's gross looking though. It looks really <laughs> gnarly, but um, I'm doing way, way, way better than I was last time that you guys heard from me. You skipped the part where uh, after walking out of the hospital, you were greeted by an angel who then took care of you for a full week. I bet that was, you know, and, and changed your bedpan and, <laughs> you know, washed you and um, fed you. Cause you were, you know, the angel of death comatose. <laughs> Just kidding. No. Yeah. Jordan did stay with me for a week while I got better, which was extremely appreciated. And like, I, we, and you didn't we have actually a bedpan, watched a, a lot of, oh yeah, I didn't, ha- I didn't have a bedpan. I tried to get you to wipe my butt, but he wouldn't. <laughs> no, I, that was a joke. It's a gross joke, but it was a joke. Um, but we, we got to watch a lot of movies. Oh my God. You want to talk about what we watched? <sighs> you know, every time I try to like, say them to people i can never remember all of them because and they were also a lot of them were terrible yeah i think that's the the biggest trouble was that the movies that we watched we just didn't like yeah they were just bad they were just were not good some of them were like okay new mutants thank god i didn't pay to see that in theaters that was garbage garbaggio but i think we did rent it didn't we damn it did we it was cheaper though it was cheap i think yeah Couple of bucks, I guess Warren got out that it was really bad. Um, <laughs> I will say I did like I liked Anya's uh, character, and I liked you know spoiler for New Mutants. I love that like the puppet ended up being something that was the biggest surprise. And you were telling me that if if you leave that movie without her being your favorite character, then they've done a bad job. Uh, it yeah. was like it was I still fine. think they did a bad job, but I was just yeah. you know if they do her justice, I think. Magic is just a character that people 
really like. Um, yeah, she was super fun. But the I mean, rest talk is about bad, an underdeveloped, boring ass group of people that were only even remotely likable because of the fact that they were played by some of my favorite young actors. But God, <laughs> boring as hell. Oh, okay, okay. Run. Ugh. Run has like literally been done so many times. I mean, I think it was like fine. If you've seen the trailer, you've seen the movie, and if you even know what the movie even happens to be about, you've seen the movie. Pretty much. It, it, it didn't. They don't do anything spectacular with it. I think it was waiting for something, and my expectations were too high, and they were just kind of let down. I was like, because I remember watching the trailer, and I'm like, okay, well, this can't just be it. This can't just be – they didn't just give us the the plot of – they couldn't have just given us the plot of the movie yeah. in this trailer. And well, they did. They did. <laughs> so. And here's the thing. I didn't watch the trailer until after I saw the movie. I just saw the poster and was like, oh, is this yeah. – I don't want to say it, but is this, is this the movie about this? And yep, <laughs> 100%. Just it's yeah. very obvious. The performances were great. I think the the lead girl did a great job. Um, and of course, Sarah Paulson. I'm always a fan of her, but like – the plot was lacking. I don't know. Not my favorite. No, definitely not. Um, okay. Oh my god, we watched so much. Oh, oh, oh okay. We had a whole week. <laughs> Better watch out. Oh my god. <laughs> this is a movie you guys should watch for the holidays. It's fun. Ugh. You said you were like this movie was a two, and then it just went up to like an eight for you. Yeah, I, it is a rough start. It is an incredibly rough start. Not because um, it's like boring or dumb. It's just because it has a very unlikable character. I, I think it even goes beyond that unlikable character. Like it, he's, you know, obviously a little shit and I hate him. But I think there were just a lot of like, there's a lot of cheesiness and it, it's it gets a little strange. But I think the end, the end did give me a twist and the kid was actually very smart with something like there are a lot of things that he did that I thought were very clever, which surprised me. And I would, I don't, I'm not sure I'd give it like an eight, but it's definitely more than a two. I, I'd give it maybe like a, a three, a six or a seven. <laughs> okay, cool. Good. Good. But like only for like the, the, the last third of the movie, the first two thirds, you have to really trudge through in my opinion, but yeah. otherwise it was fine. It was fun. It was a fun holiday horror movie. So, and there's not, I don't think there are a lot of those that I've seen. So it was nice. Nice change of pace. You know what kind of bums me out? And I, I think I even put this on my like letterbox review where I was like, what does it say about me that like my biggest issue with this movie is that you don't see more of the carnage um, when, <laughs> when terrible things happen to people. Yeah. And there's just like one in particular thing that I want to talk about that I'm like, well, what the hell? Why aren't you showing us that? I want to see that. I remember asking you, I was like, okay, so this clearly isn't rated R or they would have shown those things. Like clearly they're trying to step back a little bit. I think and, it is you know, it's gotta be because they're cussing in it. They said, right. Yeah. And you 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 told me you're like, well, they've said fuck a lot. And I was like, oh my God, you're right. So why didn't they show that? Um I don't, I don't know, know. Maybe it was a budget thing, but it would have been cool to see. I actually went in and was looking and I couldn't find anything, but I was like, maybe, maybe we just happened to see like the edited cut. And maybe there's like the cut rated cut that I saw the first time. Because I thought the first time I saw this, I feel like I remember it being more violent um, or more gory, I guess. But 
here nor there. It's it's like a fun, violent Christmas movie. There are only but so many violent Christmas movies that are good, in my opinion. One that is really good is P2. It's just the letter P, the number two. We've seen that one. You showed me that one, didn't you? Yeah, probably. Can I say what it's about or is it? Yeah, sure. Is it the parking lot one? Yeah. This like executive lady gets stuck in her office building at nighttime and the only person that's there with her is the parking lot attendant or the parking garage attendant. And um, he's Wes Bentley and he's also kind of sketchy and we'll see what happens. That is like one of my absolute favorite Christmas movies ever. I love that (laughs) movie. It's so good. Speaking of Christmas movies that I liked, I liked Happiest Season. What's that one? The one that you said was too white. Oh my God. (laughs) I will give it credit for standing out. I will give it credit for being something that people like you and I can relate quite a bit to. It did highlight a lot of those like really kind of awkward struggles uh-huh. of coming out and announcing that to your family. Like it really did hit the nail on the head for a lot of those things. But it was like, I was rooting for Aubrey Plaza the whole time. I, <laughs> I wanted, I don't know. I don't think that they were a good fit. Uh, I thought the performances were really amazing. Uh, Dan Levy was Awesome. You know who does not get enough uh, credit is Kristen Stewart, who I love. I had a dream about her the other night, and I was able to go up to her and be like, oh, my God, I watched Underwater the other night, and you were so fantastic in it. She was like, (laughs) oh, my God, thanks. You actually watched Underwater. Yeah. I thought she was wonderful in it. And I was like, that movie is 90 minutes long. Like, one minute in, you're into the, the action. It's just like this big suspense story. I liked it a lot. and um. And I thought she was really good in it. I was rooting for her the whole time. It was really, I enjoyed the hell out of that movie. And um, I really have enjoyed her in a lot of things. Not everything she's ever been in, but a lot of things. (laughs) She's a fucking powerhouse. One day we should do like a Twilight episode. Have you seen all of the movies? Not only have I seen all of them, I went and saw all of them opening day. Really? In high school, I had like 20 girl friends. I mean, not they were they, they were female friends. They were my girlfriends. <laughs> Although I did have girlfriends in high school too, but like they were female friends. So we like that was that was like what we were doing, you know, when when Twilight was coming out, that was that was what we were going to do. I remember crying at the last one. Like I maybe it's just any scene that I've seen from that movie have just been either like memed to death or just can't be taken seriously, but it just does not seem like those are good movies, but I don't know. People, they're obviously celebrated and loved. So I don't, I don't necessarily think that like anybody, okay, maybe not anybody. I don't necessarily think that the majority of people you talk to about that movie are like, oh no, this is high art. This is Shakespeare. <laughs> no, but it's like a cult kind of. It's, That's, yeah, yeah. It's the yeah. same reason that I, I, I don't, I don't want to say it's like the same reason, but it's like similar reasons why I like movies like Rocky Horror and you know what I mean. Repo. Like it's in Repo, yeah. It's just, <laughs> I get it, I get it. All this to say that uh, Kristen Stewart did a fantastic job in uh, what was it, Happiest Season? Yeah. What was it called? Yeah, Happiest Season. Uh huh. Happiest Season. It's hard to feel sorry for this big rich family of what was he a senator yeah or something um, like that yeah it was mayor or i don't know something like that and i get that that is sort of the point of the plot like that's why it's so difficult for her to 
to come out. I don't, and maybe I just don't really like sappy, hallmarky, lifetimey movies. Maybe that was just it. I don't know. That's that's the thing is that like there are very few things other than like the caliber of performance, actors, and the whole gay thing that really <laughs> those were the only few things that were separating it from feeling very hallmarky. <laughs> Let's just move fast. We saw a bunch of movies. I'm somewhat better. I'm on the road to recovery. I can sit up. We're gonna. This will be the final episode of the year, and then we're gonna come back after the holidays and be going strong. Yeah, and I know in our last episode we said we'd be doing Spider Man. We're still doing that. It is just this one felt more appropriate to close out the year. We will be returning to that one very soon. Yeah, so. totally. Okay, so Die Hard. Die Hard. Everybody's favorite Christmas movie. Um, there's like this weird ongoing debate that it is or isn't a Christmas movie. I think I think um, Bruce Willis even said it wasn't a Christmas movie, but like I, he doesn't get to decide. While I am familiar with that particular debate, I legitimately know absolutely nothing about this movie other than Bruce Willis is in it, Justin Long is in it, and no, <laughs> Justin Long's not in it. He's in the fourth one. There's four of them? There's five of them. There's five of them? What the yeah. fuck? Yeah, there's Die Hard, then Die Hard 2, then Die Hard with a Vengeance, then Live Free or Die Hard, then A Good Day to Die Hard. Um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead and Justin Long are in the fourth one. Jai Courtney's in the fifth one. Samuel L. Jackson's in the third one. I don't really think there's anybody like of note in the second one now that I'm thinking about it. Have you seen all of them? <laughs> yeah, a lot. Do you okay? Tell me about like. Do you like all of them? The first one is like again. I think one of the greatest Christmas movies ever made. I mean, okay. I think it's it's one of the greatest action movies ever made. Second one, I don't like as much. I mean, it's still Die Hard compared to this first one. It does not measure up. The second best one and my favorite is Die Hard with a Vengeance, which has Samuel L. Jackson partnering up with Bruce Willis for a reason I don't want to divulge to you, and. The fourth one is also great. Timothy Oliphant's the bad guy in that movie. Do they all take place during Christmas or is it just the first one? No, the first and the second one take place during Christmas and then they they don't go back to Christmas. Interesting. Good to know. Yeah, other than those things I know I don't I have I know it's an action movie. I don't know like what the conflict is. I don't know the plot. You will be surprised. I think you'll be like kind of I don't know if you'll be happy about it or troubled by the fact that it's very simple like this first one's extremely simple the the other ones aren't nearly as simple as this first one is i'm okay with that i love it i, I think it's elegant in, in its simplicity to be honest with you i just i really just hope that he gets his daughter back in the end that's all <laughs> <laughs> that's a different movie <laughs> i'm just kidding i'm just kidding i know it's the one with uh marcellus wallace so Wait, what? I'm ready, guys. I'm so confused. I was making another joke about another Bruce Willis movie. Okay, but what was the daughter back Bruce Willis movie? It wasn't Bruce Willis. I know that was taken with Liam Neeson. Oh, okay. So I thought you were referencing the fact that Mary Elizabeth Winstead plays his daughter who oh my gets God. kidnapped in the fourth one. Can we just do the fourth one now? I, like, we didn't skip the first three, right? <laughs> you know, what sucks about it is that, like, we we probably should only do the first one for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There will be enough to talk about. This movie, again, is iconic. I'm sorry this has gone so off the rails. We're back, guys. Did you miss us? Uh, <laughs> sorry. I missed just, this. 
I miss this a lot. I miss talking about movies. And I'm glad that you can finally do this. I mean, you can only sit for, you know, a half hour at a time, so it might be in chunks, but uh, yeah. this will be fun. I'm excited. Oh, well, I didn't miss that. <laughs> Day two. I got to give that like one star out of five. I'm like so let down. Why? Truly. What? How many deaths were there? And not a single one of them died with an erection. Oh. It's false advertising. Oh my it's false advertising and... Oh my God. And, <laughs> and I was really looking forward to them. I was just let down. Oh my Truly. God. Truly. Two things can happen. You're either going to like <laughs> die on that hill that that's the greatest joke ever, or you're going to make me cut it out of the episode. <laughs> When we first had the idea of doing this, that that thought, that joke came into my head. I was like, oh, that's going to be so funny when we record. And then here we are. And I'm like, this is a stupid fucking joke. And I, I just had to get it out. So, Well, admitting it is the first step. There it is. Yeah. Um, I mean, it is, it's pretty clever. It is pretty clever. I cannot be the first one who's made that joke no, before. No, probably not. But, um, but there, I said it. I did it. Tell me how you really feel, though. I loved that. I loved that so much. I hate action movies, but this one was great. It was charming as fuck. I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. I really, like, I knew that you would at least not hate it, but <laughs> I was sort of worried. I was really hoping that you would like it a lot, you know? I enjoy smart plots. I love that they included things that seemed so simple uh, that you really wouldn't think twice about. Like there was no moment in that movie where I was like, oh, they're going to come back to that later. And it like everything just seemed natural, but yet they still used it. Like the things that uh, that pop into my head were the watch. Like that was just some comment in the beginning that I was like, that I thought nothing of yeah. and really, you know, played a part. Um, oh, there's one other one. I couldn't think of it. Uh, oh, the Twinkies. The Twinkie. Like, and that's not even a real big part of the plot, but like he, they showed the cop like picking up the Twinkies off of the shelf and you think nothing of it. You're like, oh, he's just, you know, this, this big cop. And yeah. then it comes up in, in the conversation and it's cute and it was smart. And I love, I love a good smart villain. I mean, we're just talking about that in take one. That was enjoyable. And okay, I think it does teeter the line of being a Christmas movie and not being a Christmas movie. Like I can understand how there's controversy there. Uh, but I think there's enough references. And I think like, we'll just give this one a pass. I say it's it's a Christmas movie for sure. So That's where I side. I mean, it's Christmas Eve. They're having a Christmas party. If they didn't put specific things in, like when Hans was like, oh, you know, it's the season of giving, or when he killed the first guy and wrote, I have the machine gun now, ho, ho, ho. Like if those things were, like that felt very Home Alone-y, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I think for those reasons, like they really did push the Christmas element. So I, I am on team Christmas movie. And I do love that the like the actual score was owed to joy the whole time. Yeah. That was so clever. And like now I really want to watch the other ones. I want to see so how they what, hold up. What's funny, it made me think of something that I um I really it makes me laugh. There's a there's a friends episode where they're watching Die Hard, the three guys. They finish Die Hard, and I think Joey's like, Hey, I got Die Hard too. 
And I believe it's Ross is like, Joey, that's just Die Hard 1 again. He's like, yeah, but we watch it again and it's Die Hard 2. And like, I don't know if that's like a, like just a silly, like Joey stupid joke or the fact that Die Hard 2 is extremely similar to Die Hard 1. In, really? In many, I mean, okay, like it takes place in a different location, but there are definite beats that are the same. Whereas I think three, four, and five, love them or hate them, although I don't see why you would hate most of them, are definitely different. That's good. Uh, I 100% encourage you to watch the other ones. I really would like to watch three and four with you. Okay. Just because those are those are my favorite sequels. Did you want to talk about sort of your history? I think we kind of <laughs> glazed over that in the first take. I realized that like, yeah, as we were starting the movie, I'm like, well, damn, I didn't really talk about anything we're supposed to talk about in take one just because this we podcast. were talking about the sequels. <laughs> this is about me, this podcast. <laughs> I don't care about you. No worries. Just no, I know you don't. Um, <laughs> as far as seeing this, I mean, I, I was probably maybe 11 or 12 seeing this movie for the first time. I remember my dad really liked it. He would always like, where are my detonators? Like he would always like, <laughs> like you can get him to do that now. Really? He would totally do that. That's Next funny. time you see him say that. <laughs> I, I will say there are several references that I, that clicked into place. Like yippee ki motherfucker. Like now I know yeah. that that's from this movie. The fucking name Hans Gruber. Uh, I've heard all the time. I didn't realize it was from this movie. So I'm glad that I can finally say that I understand those references now. So one thing that was really exciting for me was watching you realize that Alan Rickman was in this movie. Yes, I saw his title card. Yeah. And I was waiting to see him. And it, it took me a little bit to realize that Hans was that he played Hans. Yeah. Because he is so young and so like handsome. Yeah, he is really attractive. You know what's funny? I I'm now that I'm thinking about it, I bet you that um, my sister and I's like absolute obsession with Harry Potter, the movies when we were younger, probably <laughs> led my dad to be like, "Let's watch Die Hard." Oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> that's funny because you know he's in both of those. Like to me, Alan Rickman is one of those um, figures like Tim Curry, where he's just in a whole bunch of things and people always say, you know, you can tell the kind of person you're dealing with based on uh, where they know Tim Curry from. Right. Right. But I feel like it's very similar with Alan Rickman. And I was really glad to have seen him in a lot of different things like um, galaxy quest. I was just watching galaxy quest like yes. a week or two ago. I love him and I miss him so much. And he's such a fantastic actor. That's honestly probably the first movie that I saw him in. Really? That had to have come out before Harry Potter, right? I don't know. Okay, so Sorcerer's Stone came out in 2001. Galaxy Quest is 99, so it was the first movie that I saw him in. Oh, perfect. That's awesome. I yeah. love that movie. I love that movie so much. A couple other things. I really liked Carl Winslow. <laughs> He's like one of my favorite parts of the movie. I just love like their conversations back and forth. Because essentially, yeah. I mean, that's really all they do is is just talk the whole movie and it's so engaging you know and you um, get this like this really really happy feeling when they see each other for the first yes. time and they're just like they make that connection it's so cute it's literally that. played up more than his reuniting with holly like with his wife yeah <laughs> I, you re like honestly go back and look at it guys like 
the, I mean, yeah, him reuniting with Holly is like this tense moment, but they play like the run up and kiss each other music <laughs> when Powell sees McLean. It's true. I sort of forgot about Argyle. I kind of understand why, because they'll cut back to him every once in a while, but it's like, <laughs> why is he here? And yeah. he really is there for you to Again, it's very organically set up the fact that they're not escaping off the roof. They're going out with an ambulance. So that was the intention. Right. And for him to to foil that plan, that was really cool. But when he just like picks him up and they just leave the active crime scene, he's just <laughs> destroyed all this property and just got told by the LAPD sergeant that he had a lot to answer for. And they're like, oh, no, I'm just going to leave in this limo. That that I really can't forgive, <laughs> uh, but it did not take away from my enjoyment of this movie. And I, I did not expect to laugh as much as I did. I laughed frequently throughout oh, this yeah. entire movie. It's very funny. It's very, even even um, Hans is is funny. Yeah, and he was he was like, you know, I'm, you're just a common thief. And he's like, I'm an exceptional thief and I'm about to bump it up to kidnapping or something like that. So you should be more polite. Like, <laughs> I fucking love that. I think he's actually my favorite character in the movie. Really? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's like an iconic bad guy, too. So we have found an action movie where the first thing that you said wasn't, well, you know, it's an action movie. And, you know, I'm not really into action movies. No, I would watch that over and over and over again. Like I, I would watch that yearly on Christmas. Oh, well, good. What a great flick. I'm very pleased. Who wrote, do you know who wrote and directed this movie? I know that it was based on a novel, but it's listed as Jeb Stewart and Stephen E. De Sousa. Sousa? I think what caught my attention the most was the writing and the way the story so effortlessly like wove within itself and I think I was just curious to know what other works the writers had done. But now I want to look into the author of this book to see if he had done anything else or her, if her had done anything else, <laughs> if she had done anything else. Are the other movies this like intricate plot wise? Yeah, they're all pretty intricate. Okay, all, all I'll say is there's always these sort of grand schemes. And this this feels like the most simple one, this is the only one that I feel like takes place in a singular location. Makes sense. So I think this one uses its simplicity to its advantage, whereas the other ones thrive on how grand the scale gets. Yeah, uh, it, yeah. it becomes a a very large action movie. Whereas, I mean, this this by today's standards is pretty quaint, honestly. You know what I mean? <sighs> I mean, setting-wise, sure. I mean, yeah. it, it still takes place in one building, but it is impressive just how much they were able to do with that one building. Like, definitely. I would not say that this is a small action movie by any means. No, but. definitely. But I guess I just mean, I mean, like, two of these films, um, I'm talking about uh, Live Free or Die Hard and A Good Day to Die Hard, were directed and, and made in this modern era of action movies that we're in right now. I mean, these, you know what I mean? Those movies came out, I think, within the past 15 years. Yeah, and it makes sense that they would get bigger and bigger as, you know, each movie goes. So that makes exactly. sense. Good day to die hard. <laughs> yeah. 
That one's the worst one. I don't like that at all. Even the title. like. So I think it's like a good day to die young. I think that's the – they're all plays on like – I thought it was a play on old old habits die hard. People – a lot of people figured that that's probably what the sixth one would be called. I'm ready for uh, Bruce Willis to come back and do this again. Are there plans for a sixth one? So the only thing I've heard in the past – Damn, I mean, years and years. Like, the only thing I've heard in a long time was the idea of a prequel. But I'm like, I think the whole point of this is that he's just a regular New York City cop. And he's not saving the day and foiling these crazy plans. So if this was a prequel set back before this film, I almost feel like it diminishes the the impact of this film, if that makes sense. Yeah, I agree. And so I don't I don't like the idea of them doing a prequel. We are in the age of prequels, though. Everyone wants a prequel. Or we're also in the age of bringing back franchises that we thought were dead. True. And this is one of those franchises. So bring true, it back true. and just have it be better than the last one. That's all I need. More Erections 2021. So stupid. <laughs> Take three. So how was your pizza? <laughs> My pizza was good. It took a while to get here, but it was good. Yeah, so I start getting text messages around 9.30 like, hey, is it okay if we're a little late starting recording because my pizza's not here yet? And I'm like, yeah, I know, totally, that's fine. I'm like still organizing what I wanted to say anyway. And then slowly is creeping towards that time and I am getting like, fuck, I'm so sorry. It's still not here. And I'm like, <laughs> the main focus needs to be pizza. Like, do not worry about, I'm going to eat this really, really quick and then I'll be ready. I'm going to eat one slice and then we're ready. And I'm like, you better eat that whole damn pizza. <laughs> I understand the importance of pizza. I get it. I think I was... I was also conveying my frustration because I was I was really hungry. <laughs> I really wanted my pizza <laughs> and it got delayed. And then the estimated time that it was arriving, it didn't come for another like half hour after that. And I was getting upset and pissed. And I was like, we could have recorded something by now. But um, it was really good. Did you punch the guy? No, I didn't punch the guy. We're in a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> did you throw something at him at least? No. A wine bottle or something? No. Did not. Off your balcony. Can you imagine like, hey, I have a pizza for you. He's like, leave it on the sidewalk. And then just you chuck a fucking wine bottle at his head. God. And then some money too. Because it's the holidays. <laughs> yes, of course. Yeah. I have nothing else to say to that. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into Die Hard. <laughs> First, I want to be selfish and talk about something. I want to be better uh, moving on into the new year about like announcements and having them in like take one. Wow. I forgot that quick that that's what we were going to do. Okay. <laughs> we literally Jesus. discussed that this is what we yes. <laughs> Because I know this is like jumbled and scrambled, but it's been a while since I brought her up. But you all should be familiar with Sarah from the Circle Opens podcast which is a chapter-by-chapter chapter review of Stephen King's The Stand. I finished the book, and I was so excited to watch the first episode. And the first episode came and went, and now I am dying to see the second episode. I was so pleased. Uh, but the reason I bring this up is because I wanted to talk about it. You watched it, and I want to know your thoughts from someone who hasn't read that monster of a book. Yeah, so I've appreciated Sarah's podcast in bits and then from afar, just because I really wanted to not know the whole story and I was not going to read that behemoth of a book. <laughs> not that you shouldn't, because you totally should, and then you should follow The Circle Opens 
on all social medias and listen to her and all that stuff. But I don't know what to expect, to be honest with you. Like, I knew that this was a story that had a giant pandemic in it, and it was <laughs> being released during a giant pandemic. And I guess a pandemic is already giant, so that's like redundant. But I was a little weary about like if this would freak me out, and it certainly did freak me out. It was very unsettling. It was think, very gross. Uh, yeah. I'll give it that. In the first episode, I was either met with like excitement because there were certain actors that I was really excited to see and characters that you've told me moving forward have decent sized roles or at least are important in some regard. Whoopi Goldberg, Alexander Skarsgård, James Marston. I was also a little bit perplexed, like why is no one upset? Why are we not seeing the emotional <laughs> fallout like yeah. what 2020 has done to us as a real world? You know what I mean? Uh, versus this story. Yeah, I can say that it very much mirrored Stephen King's novel. He didn't really give us a lot of like personal moments, at least immediately. Maybe they kind of came back in visions or something reminded someone of their past relatives or something. But I kind of appreciate that. I kind of like that they they didn't really need to give us that. I think it was sort of assumed. And there are different, you know, vulnerabilities shown with each character as well. So I really don't think it needs to be like spelled out for us. But I do think you're right. There should have been at least like one tier and there was not uh, at all. So it turns out the person that I was sort of thinking I was going to be seeing the emotion from is not. <laughs> I don't want to spoil it. Oh, okay, never mind then. Because I've heard from other sources that they were also like, oh, I didn't realize that that, you know, this was turning out the way it was. So, okay, well then some things happen, <laughs> other things happen. I'm not sure if you have read about these things or if they're different from the things that happen in the book, but yeah. Whoopi Goldberg is in it and she um, came off a little aggressive. She did. I, the, the episode wasn't perfect. Uh, she, and I think Sarah mentioned this in her uh, review episode and she was absolutely right. It was like, uh, if you're not familiar with the concept, there's like two different sides. There's like good and evil. And uh, people sort of gravitate one way or another through like visions and dreams. And the dreams of the bad side are really fucking cool with these like neon signs and this really like cryptic kind of creepy vibe. And the one like the good side is not really anything like what we read in the book. It just wasn't the same, and it kind of let me down. She said, hey, I'm Mother Abigail. Here's this address. Yeah, legit. And in the book, it was so much more warm and welcoming. Like, she's on her porch playing her guitar, and she's like, oh, hey there. How are you? I'm Mother Abigail. And they have this, like, nice little thing. But it's it's very aggressive in, in the show for some reason. But uh, I did love their performances. I thought everyone acted brilliantly. And I, I like the new setup. I like that each episode will be following someone else. And it's really interesting seeing the perspective from someone who hasn't read the book because a lot of the things in the show, the readers kind of already know and already assume and already can tell like the, the trajectory that it's going to take later on. Um, yeah. But yeah. Uh, oh, I also, I really like Stu. Yes. <laughs> Stu's great. I really like Stu. I, I, he could die i have no idea but he's not dead yet <laughs> we haven't even met like half of the the super main characters yet so that's why i'm so eager to see like what the next episode covers there's a couple of main characters that i'm really eager to see uh we will well, see the, the one that we meet at the very last minute is the one that i'm most excited to see 
Hold on, let me think. The guy that holds the door. Oh my god, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we'll probably see him in every episode, I would assume. But Good. give me just a second. Hey, the Heffalumps are walking around. I... Every day. Every day. Every it's 11.42 p.m. at nighttime, and he's just skipping. Anyway, all this to say, uh, Sarah's latest episode she has a guest on and she kind of goes over their thoughts of seeing the first episode. I think she saw like an advanced version of it. Like she saw it way before anyone else did. Uh, and she talks about it and it was the first time that I'd heard her. It was the first time that she had a guest on her podcast and just hearing her sort of have this conversation with someone that wasn't, you know, just herself in the closet. It was a lot of fun. It was kind of like seeing a new side of her. Not that the side that we have been seeing this whole time is like, that or anything is just kind of new, but it, it made me want her on this podcast so bad. So Sarah, this is a call out to you. Uh, we we will do any movie that you want to cover if you want to come on this podcast. We welcome you with open arms. It doesn't even have to be Stephen King related. It can be any movie. Let us know if you have time in your schedule. Doesn't even have to be a movie. If you want to talk about baseball, like we will study up. Take three of baseball podcast. <laughs> um. Please don't let it be baseball, Sarah. <laughs> we already have AMP, like the domain name costs a lot of money, and we already have that purchased for the next year. So it needs to be something that starts with an M if you're going to change it up. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, one thing I just wanted to point out. I know that our, like, for lack of a better word, tagline is anticipation, reaction, discussion. But you said, you said earlier that, you know, I know it's all jumbled and scrambled. And I was like, oh, I love that. Take three, a movie podcast, jumbled and scrambled. That's beautiful. Don't you think? <laughs> no. Like, that is such a great summation of our thought. <laughs> jumbled mean, and scrambled. It's accurate, but it's not very elegant. Like if we were to do it, it'd be like, take three, a movie podcast, anticipation, discussion, reaction, discussion, reaction, anticipation, discussion. Baseball. Baseball. <laughs> Uh, let's just keep it where it is and let's just strive to be better in 2021. That's the goal. Nah. Don't, yeah. I don't remember. I can't what, promise. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember what episode we mentioned this, but we were like, keep your expectations low. Uh, and we would recommend following <laughs> through with that into the new year. <laughs> hey, that's another one. Another keep your expectations low. Jumbled and scrambled. <laughs> All right. I'm going to start talking about Die Hard and I just hope you follow suit. Please. Bailing this episode out. Okay. <laughs> Die Hard was actually released in July of 2000, Jesus, of 2000, of 1988. I'm literally staring at this number, and I just said 2000. Okay, Die Hard was released in July of 1988 and made about $140 million worldwide. Damn. So that's pretty good back then. Um, worldwide, it's really hard to adjust for inflation with worldwide markets. I don't even know if it's possible. I'm just going to say that it isn't possible it has a 94 percent on rotten tomatoes which Hell is yeah. very impressive and i will get into that a little bit later how it stands up amongst its four siblings but uh i talked about this or you somebody talked about this in take two and somebody just brought up that it is based on a book maybe that was me Regardless, I did a little research about the book and i wanted to tell you about it okay so this film is based on the 1979 Roderick Thorpe novel, it's called Nothing Lasts Forever. 
So it's actually the sequel to a 1966 novel called The Detective, which in turn was adapted into a movie in 1968 starring Frank Sinatra. Ooh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, in fact, the whole idea behind writing Nothing Lasts Forever was so that it could then be turned into a film starring Sinatra. Anyway, Sinatra ended up declining once the book was written. I mean, it's like 10 years later, so it's not the point. So in this story, which also takes place during a Christmas party, a retired... This is Nothing Lasts Forever? Yeah. Not the first one, okay. Uh, A retired NYPD detective named Joe Leland is visiting the skyscraper headquarters of the Claxon Oil Corporation in Los Angeles, where his daughter works. Okay. So it's his daughter's Christmas party instead of his wife's. This party is taken over by German terrorists led by a man named Anton Gruber. And like in the film, he is able to evade the terrorists for a while and begins to fight them off, aided by Sergeant Al Powell, who serves as his you know spiritual guide, <laughs> communicating with him from outside the tower. Our hero crawling through the air ducts, bombing the elevator shaft, tying a fire hose around his waist and then jumping off the building when it bursts into flames are all taken from the book. Oh my God. Yeah. The book even has the same like, surprise, I'm not dead, return of one of the terrorists at the end and Pal shoots him there as well. <laughs> it's awesome. Like, so a lot of the the big, like iconic moments are from the book, which I did not see coming. Yeah. However, the book actually is a lot darker and more solemn throughout. And has a very sad ending because when Gruber falls out of the window, he actually has Leland's daughter with him and they both die. Oh my God. You know, he saves Holly at the end. Yeah. He's not able to save her. And they also apparently leave us believing that Joe was probably going to die due to the severity of his injuries he sustained. (laughs) That's pretty fucking dark. Do we, I don't know if this is in your research, but do you have anything about (laughs) how, John McClane really should be dead. No, not specifically. I saw a video. Well, first I saw a video of it that was actually kind of clever. It was sort of like every scene that he was in action or fighting or something, this like automated doctor would come in and just start like listing his injuries, like broken shoulder, like fractured rib as he was falling down the (laughs) stairs or something. And it would like count every time like a bunch of his injuries. It's Santa Claus. (laughs) They would uh, calculate all of these, and every so often they'd be like, okay, at this point he would be dead. At this point he would be dead again. And I think they estimated that he would have needed four lives to survive this movie, and that was really funny. Uh, And I just thought that was like a one-off, like funny little thing. But I saw an article that was like, this concept is the downfall of the movie because he's sort of like this immortal being that can just take care of anything. I chose to ignore both of them just because I, it's an action movie. I don't really care. I I just think it's fun. You have to suspend a little bit of disbelief in any movie. Yeah. And it was nothing like his throat got slit or, you know, he got jabbed in the artery or something. Like it didn't seem like- till number two. (laughs) There was nothing that seemed- uh, super devastating. I just thought that that was interesting because it seemed to be a very popular take on this movie is like about how invincible he is. <laughs> As we both know, we saw a very brief flash of his gun within like the first two minutes of the movie uh, in the very, very beginning. And I read something somewhere that I thought was really interesting about how this gun is sort of an extension of McLean himself. Uh, and it sort of represents him in a way. 
it's a weapon and it will get the job done, but it's, as this article said, it's no rocket launcher, but both McLean and his gun are sort of successful precisely because they're both underestimated this whole film. I think that fits his description perfectly. He's not this like super souped out FBI agent. He's just this average Joe cop and his gun kind of reflects that. And I thought that was really cute. He had a cute little gun. 100% agree. And I think that that is something that is missing from some of the sequels where he kind of does become like a superhero. And that's what I read. The films following this one just get kind of less and less true to the intention of this one, which kind of let me down. But I will say like there are still some very fun, enjoyable, exciting ones. I hope so. I just don't know how, how into them you'll be because of the... Well, you know, it's an action movie. I don't like action movies. But this one surprised me. I guess what I'm yeah. hoping for is the same kind of charm that this one had. Uh, but I'm not I'm not going to uh, hold my breath. I really am excited. I can't wait to do, it's in some episode, you know, we do episodes all the time. Or we will be doing episodes all the time in the new year. Um and we we can talk about, you know, how much you love all four of the sequels. Awesome. Uh what other research did you have? Well, we can go ahead and compare box office and RT scores on the sequels because I think that's actually pretty interesting. Do it. Uh, Like I said, Die Hard 1 made $140 million worldwide in 1988. Two years later, Die Hard 2 came out and made $240 million worldwide. Okay. So we're we're headed in a good direction, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So five years later, Die Hard with a Vengeance came out, and that actually grossed three hundred and sixty-six million worldwide. All right, all right, that's great. Mm-hmm. This is twenty-five years ago. That's great yeah. money, right? And then in two thousand seven, Live Free or Die Hard came out, and that grossed three hundred and eighty-two million dollars worldwide. So we're headed on that upward trajectory even more. Not not as steep of an incline, but still. Still making more money than last, and that's good. And then 2013, A Good Day to Die Hard premieres, and it makes $304 million worldwide. And that's still a lot of money, though. It is. It, and, you know, that's that's great. But it, it, the RT score, I think, is what does it in. But, um, I mean, I understand why it did not make as much money as Live Free or Die Hard, and you will, too soon because we're going to go to the Rotten Tomato scores which are way more surprising to me. Okay. Okay. 94% for Die Hard 1. Okay. Then 69% for Die Hard 2. Mm-hmm. Not particularly surprising. This next one is my favorite one and I cannot believe it has such a low score. I can. 59% for Die Hard with a Vengeance. That's not even fresh. That's rotten. You just have a Bad taste in movies, that's all. I really do have <laughs> shit taste in movies. What is my deal? I literally like studied. Like I've been told like this is what to look for for good movies and I just go in the opposite direction. Yeah. I don't know what my problem is. But I do love Live Free or Die Hard and that rose back up to an 82%. Oh, nice. Okay. So great. And it makes sense why that's the highest earner, at least, again, not adjusted for inflation. Worldwide numbers don't know how to do that. We're just going to go with the unadjusted numbers for right now. Uh, and then a good day to die hard, 14% on 
on Rotten Tomatoes. So major yikes. That's not good. And like, I just remember that particular one being, I know it was set in Russia. I just remember there being like what felt like a 45 minute long action sequence. And I'm like, what are we doing? Like, <laughs> That's how what I feel is about, happening? That's how I feel about every action sequence. I'm like, can we get to the the story and the relationships? And I don't need this. <laughs> that, oh, God. We could even skip that one, to be honest with you. But yeah, really kind of saddened about Die Hard with a Vengeance and happy about Live Free or Die Hard. I, this makes me really eager to, to continue watching them. I'll have to see if they're all... Because we watched this one on HBO Max. I wonder if they're all on... I feel like at one point... Only one and two were on there. And I was like, what the hell? Because <laughs> I love three and four so much. Things change every day. So it's like saying something's on there. I mean, it literally could have been put on there this morning. I have no idea. Yeah, gotcha. We'll see. You talk about stuff. Uh, I'm about to go on one of my rants about a theme that may or may not be intentional. Uh, but it was something that I found on Reddit that kind of made a lot of sense to me. So I thank you to... Reddit user Hans Goober for this for this Reddit discussion. Uh, I was thinking in my head, oh, you don't normally credit the the Reddit users, but that's so funny. I love that. Most times I don't because it's it's normally like an amalgamation of my own thoughts and maybe like one or two comments from a specific thread. But this one, he had like a full on Reddit thread, and I'm kind of grabbing a lot from from that thread specifically. So I want to give him credit because he, he was the one who kind of came up with this. So he, thanks thanks, Hans Goober. Uh, So he brings up that this film can kind of be seen as an exploration of how corrupt capitalism is by drawing parallels between the supposed good guys or bystanders with the terrorists. Allow me to explain he points out several times in the movie where Takagi and Hans and his men are not two sides of the same coin, but the same side on different coins. Uh, he brings up quotes like when Ellis says, hey, business is business. You use a gun. I use a fountain pen. What's the difference? Hans once says to Takagi, nice suit. I have two myself. And Takagi says something like, what kind of terrorists are you? To which Hans responds, who said we're terrorists? And so he's sort of drawing the parallels between Hans and Takagi and his like company. He's kind of making the argument that they're both equally as evil or sort of like not very well intentioned. Holly even comes into play with this when she tells Hans he's nothing but a common thief. I think this whole movie is littered with these like small lines that attempt to make the two sides equal, either bringing Hans to Takagi's level or vice versa. And it's up to the average Joe to save the day. The biggest of the big, like the FBI can't even get their shit together. They're doing everything wrong. And this average Joe who sort of resists the idea of going to this lavish party, he declines a fancy drink that was offered to him. He refuses to sit in the back of a limo. Uh, He sort of like pushes away all of these super materialistic, super capitalist uh, ideas and stuff. Um, I even saw someone argue that he never uses portals like elevators or stairwells or doorways like (laughs) properly or how they were intended. Uh, Maybe because he's either above it or below it or just refuses to comply in general. But here comes this like average Joe guy who who ends up being like the savior of this whole thing. And then in the final scene, uh, we see Holly being stripped of her golden watch. And along with it, 
Hans, as well as her ties with Takagi. And there was even an argument made about the Nakatomi Plaza being a character as well, and how McLean was the first one to actually do any sort of like big damage to the building. And there's discussion about how maybe either like subtextually or subconsciously, his goal was to take down the building the whole time, taking both Hans and Tagaki with it. So it's just sort of like this contrasting yet the same pair of groups, which is Hans and uh, Takagi, uh, sort of being on the same playing field and how they're both sort of evil and how this super average middleman, average Joe, is able to like take them both out. I love that. Yeah. That's so cool. I was like, way to go, Hans Goober. This is actually a really interesting point. And a lot of these, I go to Reddit yeah. all the time for, for stuff like this, just because I think people have like really wild and really creative connections with movies. And there are times when I'm like, okay, that's really a stretch. And this one started like that, but then I was like, oh my God, like it, it seemed like these little one-liners that were put in were so intentional uh, that they really can't, they couldn't be ignored. So I think Reddit, like, I think there is an art to looking shit up on Reddit because every time I go on Reddit to look for something, all I ever find is like, here's how each of these characters is like one of the seven deadly sins. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, fucking kill me. I but know. you've like mastered it. I'm very impressed. You and Hans Gruber, way to go to both of you. Thank you for bringing <laughs> it to my attention. I mean, I know we have, you know, billions of listeners, so chances are he listens to this. So shout out to, to him. Uh, and shout out to the rest of you, <laughs> the rest of Reddit. <laughs> uh, you said you said Nakatomi. I know this is not what I was supposed to gather from that, but I forgot to write something down, and I thought this was actually in just interesting. Um, the Nakatomi Plaza, or the Nakatomi Tower, or whatever they, whatever it is called, um, was literally the 20th Century Fox headquarters that was not done being. Built yet. Yeah, it was still being built. I, I read up on that too. I thought that was really, really cool. I mean, that's got to save money, right? Like that had to have been free. Yeah. Right. Like that's. Well, I think they like within the company charged themselves rent, but I mean, I'm sure. I, so free. It's all going to. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, speaking of the Germans in the film. Uh, John McTiernan, the director, is actually the reason why they are not really terrorists. Because the mission was to streamline their goals in the film, make them a little less political, and to uh, turn them into more like uh, this sucks, but like summer blockbuster friendly villains. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I mean, that like, because if they're like they're like dangerous political terrorists, it might become a little bit rather than like oh they're they're thieves, yeah. and that's like yeah. I think more relatable. Yeah. To a degree, sense. I like that better because it made it did it made Hans Gruber relatable. It was just it it kind of made the conflict like super simple. It was just like this is about the money and nothing else, and that I appreciate the hell out of that. So I like that decision totally. And actually, that line where he's like, "What kind of terrorists are you?" and he's like, "Who said we're terrorists?" They actually shot a bunch of different lines for him to say. One of them was like capitalist terrorists, and like oh, there's that word. Oh, yeah, totally. I thought that was pretty funny. I forgot what I was talking about. Let's move on. Okay. Hey, okay. Screenwriter Jeb Stewart. So he based the motivations that he gave to Holly and John's characters off of this real life incident. So he had gotten in a fight with his wife and was driving at nighttime in Los Angeles. And he was following a truck that was carrying refrigerators on the back of it. 
and one of the boxes falls off the back and almost caused him to crash his car. And the box turned out to be empty, and he was fine, unscathed. But uh, he realized it, – it's funny. The article that I saw this in called it a near-death incident. I'm like, that's not – you didn't <laughs> even get – whatever. Um, <laughs> that also sucks for the person who bought that refrigerator because, like, they were just delivering a box. They didn't even get a refrigerator. I know. Well, they didn't even get the box. <laughs> now it's somewhere on the highway. Someone ordered a but, refrigerator box and didn't get it. I know. That sucks. There's an episode of Friends. I know I keep talking about Friends, but it's my whole life. Um, where one of the characters, I don't want to say who, um, thinks that they're being shot at and it turns out to be a car backfiring. And then later in the episode... They're like, I had this near-death experience. And another character is like, you, that's not a near-death experience. That was barely an experience. And that's kind of what I'm thinking of <laughs> oh, when it comes the, to this. For the car, yeah. yeah. I bet you it was um, Frasier. <laughs> fuck you. So, <laughs> All right. Uh, but so... <laughs> God, I'm never going to get through this point. That was a great joke. I'm sorry. I, I yeah, wanted to take credit for that. That's good. Shut up. <laughs> no. It's, uh. So, but he would have never been able to make things right with his wife, he realized, uh, if he had died. So that ends up being what drives the two characters. Stop. <laughs> You're ruining my point. <laughs> they just wanted a chance to reconcile. Just, I'm dying. You. you <laughs> Just keep making pot shots. I just keep thinking of death by refrigerator box. Not even death by refrigerator, but by... <laughs> Stranger things have happened. This is true. Serious. <laughs> I just, I do think it's like, yes, the comparison that you brought up was, it was like, yeah, that's not even an experience. That's funny. <laughs> Continue with your point. I'm so sorry. I I made it already. <laughs> I don't know if this is something that you came across in your research, but uh, there was a lot of content that I found that referenced the actors that could have played McLean, uh, including the obvious Stallone and Schwarzenegger, and how like if either of those men had been picked, it would have been an entirely different movie, and I could not agree more. Uh, and I think the difference is that Bruce Willis makes the character relatable. Uh, when I think of action movies that the other two men have been in, I can't help but think that it's sort of like just muscle and aggression. And there's not really a lot of human elements that make them relatable or vulnerable at all. And admittedly, have not seen a lot of their filmography. And I know that it doesn't help that Arnold played a literal robot in a whole franchise. But what Die Hard needed to make a story that was relatable and could connect <gasps> with... What? No, I just... That's funny. He does play a literal robot. Yes, okay. but like that's it's when I think of Sylvester Stallone, I think of like this lifeless, just muscle and guns. It's like a robot. I, and Bruce Willis didn't really have that. It needed a character that could connect with people and was more of like an average Joe. And I think Bruce Willis was able to bring that forward so beautifully and so perfectly. I also really liked how every single bit of exposition in this movie felt completely natural. I think it did its job and maybe like tricked me by putting all of these elements in plain sight that I kind of managed to forget about until they reappeared. And I think that's very difficult to do. And I 
legitimately have trouble thinking of any movies that are able to pull that off successfully like this one did. And I didn't feel any bits were cheesy and corny. And you know, I'm the most sensitive (laughs) cheese detector. Um, But I think it has a lot to do with the script, the direction and Bruce Willis, like all together working on this project. It was like the perfect trifecta. And I think they knocked it out of the park. And to, (laughs) to take a line from the girls, uh, I'm adding some movies to my watch list that I feel have had sort of like this similar uh, aura surrounding them. And that's the John Wick movies sort of about, uh, it's like about this guy who uh, has his killed and is seeking revenge, like talk about relatable. <laughs> uh, and he seems like he's like this super stellar, kind, sweet, adorable, but tough actor to headline the series. So uh, I'm going to try and make that a priority on top of the other diehard sequels i want to try and watch john wick because it feels like it's in this similar vein of movie yeah i well so john wick is definitely a hardcore action movie but like i understand what you're like i care about him and it might just be because it's keanu reeves but like you do it is charming it is i think you'll like them yeah and i've only seen the first one but i still i think you'll anything that i hear surrounding any of those movies it's just that like everyone falls in love with keanu reeves yeah and like i can't say the same about any other action movies starring you know the big you know schwarzeneggers and stallones arnold schwarzenegger was a a bodybuilder and a like a mr universe or whatever and was like hey i'm gonna become a an actor and i mean sure sylvester stallone wrote rocky but he still went on to be rambo and so i understand why you think that totally i understand why you feel that way about those actors and why they would feel way different in this story whereas bruce willis at the time of this movie was just doing like he'd been in a couple of tv movies he was a, a tv actor he was not an action star in the least alan rickman wasn't a star in the least yeah. he was pulled from obscurity you know mm-hmm. Like he, I think, acted in plays. So I think it has something to do with like expectations, like what we see now with how far action movies have sort of gone down in some degree. Like I still think superhero movies are good, but I'm just saying like a lot of other action movies really don't have what this movie does. Right, yeah. It very well could be because it's based on a book that was successful. You know what I mean? Like it it might have that depth because it has this source material yeah. that also has depth. So that's that's why I asked that question in take two, I guess. It was because like I was trying to figure out like what the missing thing was. Like was it yeah. the direction? Was it the writing? Was it the fact that it was based on the book? But yeah, I think like this level of charm is not something that I've seen in an action movie. And it was a nice breath of fresh air. And I want to seek more like it. So and just in reference to Bruce Willis versus Sylvester Stallone or Arnold Schwarzenegger, the studio had such little faith Bruce Willis's ability to bring in a crowd that the posters, the original posters for this film, literally did not feature him in them uh, because they were worried that people would see him and be like, oh, I'm not seeing this movie. That's how much he was not an action star well jokes on them look at him now <laughs> he owes his whole career to this yeah so does alan rickman definitely definitely like this movie came out in 1988 the sequel came out in 1990 
So only four years later uh, was was Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. So Quentin Tarantino didn't pluck him out of obscurity. Like he was like on top of the world at that point. You know what I mean? <laughs> he was gearing up to start filming on the third Die Hard movie at that point. Mm-hmm. That and Pulp Fiction and then maybe like the Unbreakable series are arguably like the biggest things he's ever done. Yeah, I, I keep thinking about those and I'm I'm I was trying to think of the other action movies that he was in and for some reason like uh Sixth Sense and the M Night movies that he was in kept popping up. And I'm like, I really this guy's awesome. <laughs> this guy's great. Like Oh, he's yeah. I'm he's so fantastic. I'm so pro Bruce Willis now and I, I really hope that he's like a genuinely nice guy in real life. I hope that he's not like problematic in any way. I hope not too. <laughs> I hope also not. <laughs> gonna, I also hope not. I'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm just gonna That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Like he has a wife and kids, right? He's got to be a family. Yeah, I don't know. Demi Moore was his wife, and he had three daughters with her. And then he has a new wife, and I think he has two kids with two daughters with her as well. Huh. I don't think he has any sons, sons-in-law. I don't think he has any sons. I could be wrong, but <laughs> should have prepped. That's another those. thing. That's another thing. Jumbled and scrambled. <laughs> I could be wrong. <laughs> So this movie got nominated for four Oscars. Did it really? Yeah, I didn't win any of them, but it's not about winning. It's about being nominated. <laughs> uh, it got nominated for Best Sound, Best Sound Effects Editing, Best Visual Effects, and uh, the film editors, uh, John F. Link and Frank J. Uriost. I think that's how you pronounce it. Mm-hmm. I'm never going to be confident about how I pronounce that. I've I've been trying to like read it correctly all day. They were actually nominated for Best Film Editing. And something I wanted to talk to you about that I learned new about this film is that on the Die Hard DVD, a couple of key scenes are actually available for you to do sort of a crude re-edit on. There's this channel on YouTube called the Rocket Jump Film School, and they had this video about this and the editing principles used that I think anyone interested in filmmaking, not just editing, would totally enjoy. For example, they let you re-edit the iconic air duct scene, <laughs> which actually utilizes um, something called the point-of-view cutaway method. You see John in the vent, and then it cuts to his point of view, and then right back to the same shot. And we would call this like an ABA cut. So it's like A, B, you can't see my hands. Like <laughs> yeah, he's just gesturing, yeah. you know. Uh, And then uh, I really do recommend actually watching this because I can't show you exactly what I'm referring to, but this scene especially shows you why it's so important to choose your shots very carefully in the edit to not confuse your audience. And again, I will provide this, not like that's anything new, but I will provide a link to this. I really think like, especially you, Jordan, because I'm talking to you right now. Um, you should totally watch it. It's really interesting. It's definitely some editing 101 stuff, but I really liked seeing it explained using Die Hard. That's awesome. I actually have some homework for you and our listeners as well. So, man, this is this episode is just packed with content. So this will be yeah, <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> I'm excited for it. I wasn't taught how to edit using Die Hard, but I do remember it popping up in a cinematography lesson about practical lighting. Hmm. A practical is just a name to reference any light source that appears in the frame. So like the fluorescence in the office rather than... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And they often don't 
do nearly as much work as the off-screen lights do, right. but they help a lot with the shot's believability. And again, I distinctly remember a professor of mine discussing uh, one little lighter in a metal air duct going <laughs> really, really far in that shot <laughs> when it came to having it not feel out of place. If it was just remarkably well lit, it would seem like, well, I don't get, I don't understand. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I feel like if you were to sort of take any sort of time with it, subconsciously, you'd be like, well, that's weirdly off. lit. Yeah. Even yeah. if it's not the only light we're actually seeing, it's be- way more believable because he has that light. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's, that's, that was the whole purpose of the, of the lesson. And that, so it's basically saying like the important, like the reason he had that lighter. It wasn't particularly like trying to find a reason as to why he pulled out the lighter. It was, I'm sure in the context of the story, obviously to light his way, but it was just the fact that him pulling out that lighter did a lot for us as the audience to believe that it would be lit that way. I guess my point in bringing that up is wasn't the lighter given to him in the movie? Do I remember that right? Or did he steal it from someone? He got the lighter know. from someone or or someone gave it to him. And I guess this is just another way to prop up the idea that like even the smallest little details that you would think would go unnoticed are like super clear and end up being exposition for the rest of the story. Wasn't he given that lighter? I don't remember. I'm gonna feel I really do not remember. I'm gonna feel really dumb. You know, I'm gonna before I edit this, I'm gonna <laughs> rewatch it and see if I can find where he got that fucking lighter. No, that's awesome. That's that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, like uh, again, I don't, I don't know what bearing it really has on the story. I think the point was the fact that he was able to light that light colors our perception of how believable it is that we could see him in that air duct. Yeah, that makes sense. Oh, that I okay, I got there eventually. I was able to say that right. I tried like fourteen times. <laughs> no, I got your point. I understand. Okay, so. Cinematographer Jan de Bont, which is a dope name. It's spelled Jam, but it's pronounced Jan, which I love, um, is actually celebrated for his innovative use of lighting throughout this film. Apparently, like that it was a big deal. And he directed Speed, which is completely irrelevant, but I love Speed. Is that the Keanu Reeves one with Sandra Bullock? Yes. With the bus. Okay. That is an action movie that you would be completely fine with. I actually, I've seen that and I remember enjoying it, but it's been a while. I couldn't tell you like specifics. It was probably in passing at one point, but I do remember enjoying it. I think it was a clever concept. Um, it's really fun. Yeah. I love that movie. So Die Hard had five movies, but there was also a battery commercial that got released this year. This year? And yeah, it was a commercial for advanced auto parts. It actually has Theo, who is the um like their tech guy, mm-hmm. and Argyle, the driver. Oh my god. Both in it. And um it's like two minutes long. And it's kind of cheesy and weirdly edited, but it's still better than a good day to die hard. <laughs> and that's all from me. <laughs> Do I have to have seen the other movies to appreciate? The commercial no it's all about number one link it because i want to i want to watch that as well uh so i just have some like fun facts and extras to go over um i didn't realize this until take three but this really is what put alan rickman on the map uh it's his film debut uh he had done theater previously like you mentioned mm-hmm. 
Uh, but this was his first role in a feature-length film, which I love because I think without this movie, there's a very good chance that we would not have him in Galaxy Quest or in Harry Potter. And so like, so super props to, to Die Hard. Uh, the part where McLean is asking himself, who's driving, Stevie Wonder? When he's like looking down at the cop car, freaking out. Yeah. Uh, the scene cuts to Argyle. And Argyle is listening to a Stevie Wonder song in the limo. Yeah, yeah. I don't. That didn't click for me. Oh, okay. I okay. <laughs> uh, fun fact: Bruce Willis donated <laughs> his tank top to the Smithsonian. So that dirty brown tank top is in the Smithsonian. Sexy. <laughs> this is so. This is the homework assignment. There's a video that I found from uh, the YouTube channel called Howard Ho which I'll link in the description. It's called How Die Hard Uses Beethoven for Hans Gruber, A Soundtrack Deep Dive. Watch it. It's a little less than a half hour. It's kind of long, but you can watch it double speed and still get the same you know, information. But they're, like practically every single minute of this video, I was like, whoa, that's cool. And it's like a much deeper dive into how Beethoven's ninth kind of weaves its way into practically every single nook and cranny of the plot of Die Hard. It's incredible. It is, it's amazing. You should watch it. And it's like, I, I'd go over the points, but it's just far too long and we'd be here for years. I'm really excited. That's awesome. It's really cool. Yeah. Uh, my last little note here, I just want to give a shout out to Holly. I don't know who the actress who played her, but I really appreciate Bonnie Bedelia. Yeah. I, I appreciate her performance. I appreciate Holly as a character. Uh, she was just as stubborn as McLean. And I love that they really didn't make her this like damsel in distress character she was held captive at one point. Like I realized that, but she was really clever throughout the whole movie and she really stood her ground the whole time. Uh, and I like that the romance in this movie was kind of secondary. I think that McLean wasn't doing all of this just to save his wife. Uh, I think it would have, I, like I would have thought differently of the movie if his motivations were driven by romance. I think in a way they were, but I I tend to believe that his intentions were to save all of the employees and not just his wife. So like saving Holly, I think was a product of him trying to save all of the innocent people. And it wasn't the other way around, which I appreciate the hell out of. So shout out to her, shout out to her character. I think she was great. Well, I hope she's listening. I mean, she, she might not be listening to this particular episode. I know she's subscribed. Yeah. Chances are. All right, guys, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. I would assume this is like Christmas Eve now. Oh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, Are we going to release this on Christmas Eve? I, I don't know. At least before or on Christmas. I, I'm going to strive for Christmas Eve. <laughs> I'm going to do my best. Okay. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody, and um, Happy New Year, and we'll see you in 2021 if... Um, if we make it. Yeah, I didn't want to say that, but yeah. <laughs> Hello, dear listeners. Thank you again for joining us on our last episode of the year. We appreciate your patience throughout our hiatus and recovery, but look forward to some great new content in the new year. You know where to find us. We are Take 3 AMP on all major social media sites. Past episodes can be found at Take3AMP.com or all major podcast apps. And for any questions, concerns, or comments, you can reach out to us at Take3AMP at gmail.com. And those are all the number three. 
If you'd like to give us a Christmas present, you can leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, It lets us know how we're doing, and it helps us reach more listeners, and we very, very much appreciate it. We hope each and every one of you have a very safe and very happy holiday, and we will see you in the new year.